Hello. I was visiting some of my favourite blogs recently when I saw some photos of seaweed. Now having grown up in a village on the coast I am very familiar with seaweed in its various forms and indeed a traditional Welsh breakfast may include bacon, cockles and fried lava bread which is a locally found form of seaweed. It's not to my taste I have to admit although it is very good for you, very rich in iron. One of the photos on the blog was of the root-like structure of the seaweed that holds it to the rocks. Unlike other plants, the seaweed doesn't get its nutrients through these roots. Their sole purpose is to anchor the seaweed in place. The blogger had commented, Wouldn't it be wonderful if each person in the world had a holdfast to anchor us when the storms of life are particularly rough? We'll come back to that again later. A few weeks ago, husband and I watched the latest James Bond film, No Time to Die. In case you haven't seen it, I won't tell you what happens, but it shocked me. There was a time when we'd watch every Bond film that came out. We'd look forward eagerly to it being on TV, at Christmas usually, and settle in for an evening's entertainment. But that was a long time ago. I think there are probably some Bond films we've not even bothered watching. Daniel Craig is a good Bond, those lovely eyes of his, but a very serious one. In the beginning there was more humour in the films. Not farcical, but subtle wordplay. And oh, those bad guys and their henchmen. The totally sinister Blofeld. He was played by a number of different actors over the years, but nobody surpassed the original Donald Pleasance character with his cat. I shudder now when I look at photos of him. And who can forget Jaws or Oddjob? Or that peculiar couple, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd? They were violent and vicious and thoroughly horrid, except perhaps Jaws, who did have a certain likability about him. But all the violence was cartoon-like. Like Popeye brings his hammer fist to bear on Bluto's chin and knocks him from here to eternity until the next time. Or a piano drops on Tom's head and he gets up and shakes himself and goes back to chasing Jerry. Over the top and funny. For a time in the middle, the franchise got too silly. Then Mr Craig took over the role and it got serious again. Much more serious than it had been, and I think lacking the dark humour of the original Ian Fleming books. I watched a short clip yesterday from Moonraker, the 1979 film starring Roger Moore. In the clip, James and a woman, beautiful obviously, are in a cable car coming down from a mountain. Jaws is determined to stop them. All three end up fighting on top of the cable car, which is swinging precariously high, high up over the cliffside. At different moments, one or the other has to hang on for dear life. Needless to say, James Bond and his companion escape while Jaws in the cable car crashes into the return station, no doubt to walk out unharmed later. What struck me when watching it was how slow it was. Action films these days are non-stop. Back then we were encouraged to relax and to breathe for a short spell as we watched the peaceful journey of the cable car down the slope before it all kicked off. And of course now we have amazing special effects. For a short while we are caught up in the action believing every crazy stunt. 
films have come on so much in the last, gosh, 40 years. Where did that time go? Perhaps the most famous cliffhanger scene is at the end of The Italian Job, a 1969 film with Michael Caine, and later remade with someone else who wasn't as good. If you recall, the film finishes with a coach balanced half on and half off a cliff edge in Italy. The coach is empty except for the bars of gold bullion thieves have stolen, and which are now just out of their reach. Incidentally, did you know that the term cliffhanger came into use in the 1930s with the advent of dramatised serials? To ensure listeners tuned into the next episode, each one would end at a dramatic moment, for example with the heroine hanging off a cliff edge. Since then the term has been used not only in the literal sense, but meaning things have been left at an exciting point. And of course cliffhangers are still employed by writers of EastEnders or The Archers or any soap opera or dramatic series. Again, the term soap opera comes from the days when programmes in America were sponsored by soap powder manufacturers. Can you tell I learn a lot preparing these talks? Modern films, though, often have literal cliffhanging moments. In Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, we saw the love interest falling to her death from a precipice caused by an earthquake she had started when she tried to remove the Holy Grail from the cave. Indy flings himself to the floor and grabs her hands, but she sees the Grail almost within her reach, and such is her desire for it that she reaches out to get it instead of grabbing for Indy's hand, and consequently falls. Her consuming desire for the Holy Grail led to her death. The search for the Holy Grail goes back a long time. It is traditionally thought to be the cup from which Jesus drank at the Last Supper, the one with which he instigated the practice of what we most usually think of as communion. Some say that Joseph of Arimathea used it to collect Christ's blood after his crucifixion. Rumour has it that Joseph later travelled as a missionary via Spain to Britain, which I suppose led to the search for the Holy Grail being one of the quests for King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table. In 2014, two Spanish historians claimed they'd found it and had three years of research to back up their claims, although how anyone could prove its provenance is beyond me, and they couldn't conclusively. Basically, they found a cup of about the right age. And there are about another 200 alleged grail cups that have been found around the world. In films, the cup is usually gold, Although it seems unlikely to me that a carpenter and a gang of misfits would have easy access to a gold cup. But I suppose Joseph of Arimathea, being a rich man, may have done. He was the one who provided the tomb and who, with Nicodemus, took Jesus' body from the cross and laid it there. So there could be something in the story. But then comes the really crazy bit. The Holy Grail of legend is said to have miraculous powers being able to grant the deepest wishes and even eternal life to those who drink from it. The quest for the Grail is first mentioned in a story by a French author written around 1180. Since then it's featured in numerous myths, legends, poems, books and latterly films. In Dan Brown's phenomenally successful book The Da Vinci Code, the Grail wasn't a cup but Mary Magdalene's womb. 
I was working in a bookshop when that book came out. One day, as it was quiet in the shop, I picked up a copy and began flicking through it. I was hooked. I had to buy it and quickly finished reading it. It's a great yarn that was later made into a film starring the wonderful Tom Hanks. But it's fiction, a made-up story. A goodie versus baddie action chase story. All the elements are there. Good-looking, intelligent professor, attractive female sidekick, rushing from one beautiful location to another. What more could you want, except a ridiculous premise that a large number of people are going to believe? And the fact remains that people are still today searching for the Holy Grail. Of course, there are plenty of archaeologists and historians on perfectly valid quests to find out more about past civilizations, how they lived and what we can learn from them. And today, thankfully, most found archaeological treasures remain in the country of their origin, rather than the bad old days, when tombs and historical sites were routinely looted, to the looter the spoils. No more, thank goodness. It's interesting when you realise that the Holy Grail is the most famous bit of imagery associated with Christianity that doesn't actually appear in the Bible. But as I say, that hasn't stopped people searching for it. Looking for something, hanging on to something, we've all done it. Bono famously sings that he still hasn't found what he's looking for. I used to think that I hadn't either, and that as a Christian I was a failure because of it. But now I know I have found what I'm looking for, but I also haven't. A bit like Schrodinger's cat. I found what I was searching for, acceptance, forgiveness, love and the knowledge that I matter. But I'm not fully there yet. I've not totally grasped and absorbed the wonders of grace. That it's nothing that I can do or not do, but all that God does or doesn't do. It's a huge concept to get a human mind around. So yes, I can happily sing along with Bono and you too and not feel a bad Christian because of it. And for me, it's not really about eternal life. There'll probably come a time when it will be, but for now it's more about life in the here and now. Maybe someone should tell the Grail Hunters that. They can give up searching because we have the answer, the secret to eternal life, and it's much simpler. It comes as a free gift when we put our trust, our faith, our hope in Jesus. Simples, as the meerkats say. And then, when we need an anchor in a storm, when we need to hang on to something, we know there is a hand waiting and held out for us. A hand that will never let go, that will never lose its grip, that will cling on to us even when we're ready to give up. Isaiah was a prophet who lived about 700 years before Christ. His book, all 66 chapters, is about God's judgment and salvation. If you look at it, you'll see that a number of chapter titles include the words judgment or woe to. Isaiah was warning the people of Judah that their sin would lead to their downfall. In chapters 9 and 10, Isaiah describes God's anger against Israel. Here's a bit from the beginning of chapter 10. Doom to you who legislate evil, who make laws that make victims, laws that make misery for the poor, that rob my destitute people of dignity. 
exploiting defenseless widows, taking advantage of homeless children. What will you have to say on Judgment Day when Doomsday arrives out of the blue? Who will you get to help you? What good will your money do you? A sorry sight you'll be then, huddled with the prisoners or just some corpses stacked in the street. And four times in this section Isaiah says, Even after all this, God is still angry, his fists still raised, ready to hit them again. I think we get the message. It's going to be grim for those who rebel against God, who mistreat others, who are unjust. But even in amongst all that doom and gloom, Isaiah had some good news. He promised that in time, God would once again redeem his people. Listen to these verses from chapter 41. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And again, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. And especially for us oldies, even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Indiana Jones, James Bond, even Bruce Willis, all have their place. But there's only one hand worth clinging on to. The hand of the one who saves. The one who meets our needs. The one who won't let go. There is no storm that can loosen his hold. We are safe, even in our old age and with our grey hairs. Thank you for listening.